Hey there, welcome to the Detox City Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Hope you are staying safe and healthy. If you are listening to this in the future and don't understand why I'm wishing everyone health and safety every week, let me tell you, future people, 2020 was a motherfucker. Getting up every day and putting your best foot forward every day is a challenge, and I salute all of you who are doing that. Whether you are listening in 2020 or much later than that, I hope this podcast is something you enjoy. Whether you are, you aren't, or you're ambivalent, I'd love for you to leave a rating on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, feel free to leave a comment with any thoughts you may have. You can reach out to me directly on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph or by emailing me at detoxpod at gmail.com. You can, of course, also sign up for the monthly Detoxicity newsletter at tinyurl.com detoxpod. Neil Taff is an actor, a singer, a voiceover artist, and a massage therapist, and he has a few other jobs, which he explains uh, while he speaks. He's based in Los Angeles, and he starred for years in the touring production of Smokey Joe's Cafe alongside Grammy winner and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Gladys Knight. Neil is also someone I've known since I was a preteen. We grew up together in Brooklyn. In this episode, Neil goes in deep on his journey, from his early days in the UK to struggling as one of four boys in Brooklyn raised in a Seventh-day Adventist household by a single mother. Along the way, he stumbled into the arts, suffered the sudden loss of his youngest brother, discovered therapy, and has never lost his faith. I am proud to bring you the occasionally poignant, occasionally hilarious words of Neil I.B. Taff. Hi, my name is Neil Taff, Neil Ian Barrington Taff, I.B. Taffy, if you want to call it like that. Let me see, I'm a singer, dancer, actor, model, personal trainer, massage therapist, makeup artist, bartender, and I also sketch and draw, so, yeah. You have 10 jobs. You know what I'm saying, the Jamaica <laughs> man, yeah man. So my parents, I mean, my parents are, origin- are from Jamaica, uh-huh. so where I get that from. Grew up in Brooklyn, but I'm originally from England. So that's why Siri has that British accent, so I get back, you know. I'm reclaiming my accent. That's what I'm doing right now, you know what I'm saying? There you go. Yeah, I, I was wondering. I So to provide a little backstory on how Neil and I know each other, I have known Neil since I was about 10 years old because we grew up in Brooklyn together. Yeah, that was only like 15 years ago? Yeah, maybe like 10 years ago. Yeah, okay, 10. Yeah, but I was like, did they grow up in England? And I couldn't remember. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Now that you said it, it makes sense. So so many questions. Um, I I don't even know where to start. (laughs) What was so, what was your upbringing like? Well, see, and now I'm asking this question. I kind of know the answer already. Right. You know, because I know your mom. But you grew up in, I mean, y'all were uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Still are. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, grew up in a, like, we were scared of your mom when we were young. (laughs) Like, Miss Taft don't play. She don't play. Because, that you know, she grew up in that that strict household, Seventh-day Adventist, Jamaican, where they had to go out in the morning and take their cows out to pasture before they went to school. So she okay. grew up with a different mindset. So when she came to Brooklyn, you like, I like, oh, yeah, I want to run around. Uh-uh. I'm going to go, so sit down. And then, but we were in a different time where the village raised the children. Mm-hmm. So anytime I was outside after sundown on Friday, my mother gets a call <laughs> from one of the neighbors. Zelfa, you know, your son outside. I'm out. <laughs> Mrs. Cox across the street or Celeste's mom or even Bruce's mom next door was like, nah. Can't have that. It's, no. 
really interesting to me because I don't know that people grow up like that anymore. Cause you know, if one of us messed up, like if before we went in the house, our parents knew our grandparents in my case knew about it. And it was the whole neighborhood taking care of all because there were a bunch of kids around the same age, you know, and like your age range had a bunch, you know, Caroline and all them people. And my age range had a bunch of people. And, you know, the, everybody on the block looked out for, you know, for all the children. Yeah. You know, and I don't I don't know that that happens anymore. It doesn't. I mean, like, even now, I only know probably like four or five of my neighbors and there's like 30 units in here. So I'm like, because people don't communicate like they used to. Everything's fast. Everything's moving, you know, and then now we're in a pandemic. So I don't know you. I don't need to know you right Right. now. Right. So one thing that really surprised me was, you know, y'all moved, then I moved. And then like 10 years later, I'm like, why does that guy in the Gladys Knight commercial look so familiar? And I was like, Oh my goodness, that's Neil. So where, like, you as a performer, like, where did that come from? When did that start? Ooh, how much time we got on this? Cool. So anyway, let me, the Gladys story is long because it's like, it's all connected from where I started in the, you know, doing musical theater. Uh-huh. So to try and make a long story short, we did, I did a show called Smokey Joe's Cafe on tour. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it with the company from 97 until 2000. You know, I've done so many variations with them. So then they called me, was like, hey, we want you to come back. And I was like, no, um, I've done that show so many times. And I just booked a gig without being, without having to audition. And I said, I want to do that show. It was Civil War. And I was like, yeah, I'm so excited. And then my agent called me back and said, hey, yeah, they really want you on the tour. I was like, no, no. Then man, Gladys' manager called and said, yeah, we need Neil. She, I was like, no, no. And then Gladys called her and I was like, okay, so I'm going. So then I went, we did the show for six months on the road. And then after we finished the show, went to do another Smokey Joe's. Like I wasn't tired, but I was like, I need the money. So I was going to get my equity card from that too. Right. So I went to go do that. And then it was like Thanksgiving. I'm at my mom's house in Georgia because that's where she lives now. And I got a call and said, hey. I said, hey. She says, me, Gladys. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, and she did her laugh. I said, I said, mommy, she's on the phone, she's on the phone. She said, well, I called because um, I'm getting ready to go to Jamaica, but we're getting ready to start a show in Vegas, and I want you to be a part of it. And I was like, okay, explain. Yeah, it's because you you have such a wonderful spirit. You sing beautifully. You bring people together. I was like, she noticed. Because I was just being my genuine self, and she noticed me. I wasn't trying to be under, like, oh, Gladys, can I come over? No, no, no. So then I was like, okay, let me think about it. I'll think about it. She said, okay, let me know, let me know. I just told Gladys not, I'm going to think about it. How long did you really think about it? Well, actually, that night, my cousin called me. She said, hey, there's a free concert by Kirk Franklin and Kirk Whalen at Bishop Eddie Long's church. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go? And it's free. I said, huh? <laughs> so I went there, and then at the end of the concert, they were doing, you know, the altar call and say, something is on your mind. 
God is telling you to answer that call right now. You need to answer that right now. I ran out of things. <laughs> hey, it's Neil. She said, oh, my God, I'm on the plane, and we're about to take off. And her husband's in the background. Get off the phone with him. You know I don't like <laughs> him. I said, you tell him shut up. I said, I'm going to take the job. Okay. And 13 years later, I sang for her all over the world. And there's a lot more details that go into that can make you go like, what? I still think about it. I'm like, that actually happened. We might have to do a whole nother show about that. Hey, come on. Let me tell you, I got, I got storage for each aspect of my life. So <laughs> you see how many careers uh, I have? Yeah. You, you just, it's, it's so funny to me. And I'm just like, I don't remember if, like when we were growing up, were you ever, were you going to auditions? Were you doing all that stuff? Because it was never really clear to me like when that button like clicks for you where you were like, okay, I'm going to be a performer and that's that. Okay, let me, let me say it like this because I got to give a chronological, you know, understanding of what is happening. Yeah. So I started in musical theater when I was 27. So that was real late in the game compared to a lot of people. Right. Well, you know, I grew up singing in church usually. And, you know, I was always like, oh, I like to, you know, do this. But I never thought about it until I went to this place in New York they used to call Two Steps Down in Brooklyn. Okay. The street, and they had an open mic spot there. So, and the reason I got there was because I was singing in church and my aunt came and she was like, you know, you need to let Neil take voice lessons. It might help him. So then my voice teacher, who I went to, introduced me to Two Steps Down. From Two Steps Down, I started, you know, performing, started being, trying to be a true self. And, you know, and there was all kinds of people there, people from theater, TV. It was a nice hole in the wall, but a lot of theatrical culture. Mm -hmm. So then the woman who does the host the open mic, she was like, hey, I'm going to start a musical group from there. And I said, okay, you want to be a part of it? I want you to be a part of it. Okay. And we started touring around New York called the Performance Art Chorale, and that was Mickey Braden. And we used to travel around to churches, venues, and then we started sitting down at Don't Tell Mamas doing our show, and also at the Triad. So from there, one of the guys was like, hey, I need somebody who can sing really low, because I can, you know, sing that bit. Right. Oh. I, yeah, I can't do that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So then he was like, hey, one of the guys that is in our show has left to go do a Broadway show. I said, okay, what does that mean? He said, well, we need a bass guy in our show. It's four guys. We're singing doo-wop numbers. I said, okay, what do I do? You audition. I said, what does that mean? He said, you go to producer's house and sing. You know, this back then when, you know, you know somebody, you're going to send him to your house. It's right. like the audition process. So I went to the guy's house. His name was Ronald Weish. May he rest in peace. So he, you know, said, okay, you're a good-looking guy. Okay, what do, you, what do you got? I said, I don't know, I'll sing a song. Like, sing. Okay, sing something. I was like, Old Man River, that Old Man River. He's like, and I sang, I don't remember that was a song I sang, but I just chose that. So then after he's like, okay, you got a good voice. He said, I'm going to give you some notes. Can you hit harmony with me? I said, yeah. Because all this stuff, I know, you know, I can sing, I can sing, yeah. Right. He said, do you know choreography? I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, do you know how to dance? I said, yeah. So he showed me some moves. He said, okay, okay. He said, you're hired. I said, okay. That's that it? That was it. 
Wow. When I tell you I got into this business by God's blessings, I was like, okay, what does that mean? So then we went to Sacramento Light Opera and did the show. This was in 95. Went there, and then when I started singing my song, which was just a matter of time, someday, some way, as I go on, they were like, like, and I kept singing. I was like, that, and when the, the chills that came through my body, I even get them now because I think about that experience was like so, I said, oh my God, this is what it feels like? So I decided again to musical theater. So from musical theater, then I started doing like auditioning here because I said, I'm going back to New York and be a Broadway star. That didn't happen. Still waiting. I'm coming, Broadway. It's, I'm coming. Hey. So then one of the guy, the same guy that got me into this show because we were singing with the pack and stuff like that. I got a job at CBS through him. And then from there, I got a job. I saw an audition for Smokey Joe's Cafe. Broadway. So I said, I'm going to go audition. So now, backstory was the guy that I replaced in Duop Love mm-hmm. went to go do Smokey Joe's Cafe, which is Fred Owen. He was like my big daddy, my big brother, and I just love him to death. So I was like, hey, he did it. I'm going to do it too. I replaced him in this job. I'm going to take him Yeah. So after my audition, they were like, you have a great voice, but you're very green. Back then, they would tell you exactly. These days, they're like, thank you for coming. <laughs> but then, back then, it was in the theater of Smokey Joe's Cafe. So they're in the audience. The way you see it on TV all the time, that's the way it happened. Okay. They're sitting in the audience. I'm standing there on the stage, singing my heart out. So they were like, yeah, you're green. So we're going to, hey, we're taking some people from the Motown Cafe. How about you go audition for them? Make another long story short, audition for them. I got the job. So then I worked at Motown Cafe from 96 until 97 when I booked Smokey Joe's Cafe and went on tour to Reno, then went to Europe, and then went to Korea, and then went all around the 60 states. So I've done, I've, I've done Smokey Joe's a lot. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I didn't really... I didn't go to, you know, theatrical school for it or anything like that. Never thought about it as a career until that day when I stood on that stage. I was like, this is going to be my life. That's such an amazing story. That is because you always hear about people who are like, well, I've, you know, I've been doing auditions since I was like six years old. And I'm like, and you just kind of. I've Harvard and Yale. Yeah. Which is school of international study. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I not have a job? job. Yet? Yes, exactly. And it's like you just took your natural talent and impressed people, and you know the rest is history. And I prayed, I prayed a lot. When I tell you, when you speak from your heart, that's when a lot of things, you know, happen. When you get all the extra stuff out of the way, like tradition, race, color, creed, just be your authentic self, then all of that thing just opens up. And that's what happened, because when I was in the gym, I was riding the bike, and I looked up, and I saw Gladys on Rosie O'Donnell's show. And she was like, I'm getting ready to go do Smokey Joe's Cafe on the road and stuff like that. And I was like, I said, that would be nice to do it with her. <laughs> and sure enough. Two weeks later, that's when I got the call. That's amazing. 
I love the fact that you seem like so centered and, you know, I follow you on social media and you always post these like inspirational messages on social media and inspirational quotes. And you've got your little web series now and kind of all this stuff like growing up the way that we grew up and now reaching an age, you know, like where did that sort of centering of yourself like come from? Were you always like that? Did you have to have some experiences before you became that way? Like you just seem so like in touch with yourself and, you know. Well, it's been a journey, you know, in understanding how I breathe, how I walk, all of those things. But I have to say that this COVID experience has allowed me to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of repairs and a lot of shedding of things that I've put on me over the years that allow me to be more authentic today than I've ever been in my life. That's amazing. So, you know, I was, I keep joking to my friends, say, you know, sorry, COVID happened, but that happened for me. I'm using this time to really figure out what I need in my life and what I don't. So, you know, now I can post videos because before we're like, okay, the video has to be like this. The video has to be like this. The video has to be like this. I said, Neil, just go have fun and you can do it in one take. And be yourself. And be yourself. If you flub over words, guess what? That's human. So I'm allowing myself to be flawed. Like you saw when I did the George Jefferson experiment. Because, <laughs> you know, brothers got hairlines. You know what I'm saying? People got not, don't have hairlines in certain cases. <laughs> and I wanted to see what happened when I grew my hair. Because I've never grown my hair in years. Right. And then I, I let my nails grow. I will show you a picture, but it's like my nails were like here. <laughs> but, you know, I'm also doing massage therapy. So I used to I have to keep my nails short. Right. And also, I used to bite my nails, so I've never had long nails. So all of these things that I've never experienced, like being home by myself, being able to sit down and just not do anything, not care about anything, you know, or just have those worries. So it's like I've done a lot of building and through weekly therapy. I love hearing particularly black men talk about therapy because it is so important. It is so needed because we have so much put on us that we don't need. You can't cry. You have to be a man. What is the definition of a man, especially in these times? Mm-hmm. Who, wh- who is defining you? Who are you? So I said, I'm not going to be defined by anybody anymore. Let me find out who I am so I can love me first. Then when I go into the world, they're like, something about you is different. What is, what is happening? I love me. That so, is so important and so great to hear. So needed. So needed. Yeah. Go see a therapist. I started out with a therapist that worked at a um, that works at a community clinic where they're doing the internship until they get to their private practice or go to a practice. So I've been working with him since September, and now he's moved over to his private practice, and I paid thirty dollars a week because it's a pay scale. Pay what you can. Pay what you can. Right. Now that has increased, but now my increase has come in. Thank you, unemployment. <laughs> Baby, when I tell you that, first I was like, how am I going to make it through this COVID time? Because I don't have no job. I sing and dance for a living. I do massage therapy, which contacts with people. People, right. 
And then I also do makeup where I have to be in contact with people. I can't do anything. I was like, okay, my unemployment ran out in February. What am I going to do? I'm just going to pray and just trust you, Lord. So since that time, all of my bills have been paid. I have my next month rent. And I'm able to pay my therapist what he deserves right now because he moved to the private practice. So I'm like, what was I worried about? What was your, the, no, I was saying, your success is on the other side of fear. So what are you afraid of? Just, you know? I love gonna, it. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, made you, what made you decide to seek a therapist? I have been thinking about it for a while because like, my brother passed away three years ago. The day of that happening is going to be next Tuesday. That's one it just crossed things. my mind. Right. One of those things is I needed to talk to somebody about that and get that out because the more I hold all of my things in, the more damage it's going to be to me. I said, I'm tired of damaging my body and my brain. Let me go figure something out and go see a therapist. We actually saw a family therapist after his passing with the whole family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, they all live in Georgia. They can see her, but I need to seek my own person. So I found someone because... Like I said, when you pray about something, some things happen. If you don't believe in God, okay, I got it. But, you know, put in the atmosphere and see what happens or put it out there. Right. So I said, I need to see a therapist. And then I went to the beach with a friend of mine and we were talking. He said, yeah, I see my therapist every week. I said, who do you go to? He said, oh, yeah, Valley Community Clinic and they pay scale and blah, blah, blah. You pay what you can. I said, give me the information. Got the information called them, had a breakup, and I saw them the next week. I was like, it happened as it needed to because that breakup kind of wore me out to the point where I was like, what am I going to do? I have a therapy point next week. The world worked the way it was supposed to work. And the world goes round. <laughs> when everything is connected, you know, when everything, when you feel more centered, you can see things and speak things. And if it, you believe in karma, you know, you speak to that. It is like, yeah, I'm a believer. So if you don't believe me, you can, you know, send me a message in my DMs on IG and I'll tell you my testimonies, several testimonies. You'd be like, you're a walking miracle. Yeah. You grew up with, you were one of four brothers. And I can't remember if you or Kevin is the oldest. Kevin is older by 11 months to the day. Wow. Wow. See, See? (laughs) think about it. And that's another thing that you don't see anymore is just like kids with such like close age ranges. Cause like all my aunts and uncles and my mom are a year apart. See? And there's six of them. You're right. Because like they had the mentality that you're not going to leave your sibling alone. Right. You know, right. you're going to bring them a playmate cause I ain't going to be messing with you. Get off the couch. Get off the couch. What? And then huh? when, my brother, when I came along, my mother's like, okay, they could play together. Right. You know I mean? Right. So, yeah, January 22nd of 67. I was born December 22nd of 67. Wow. I'm almost twins. Almost twins. So, for a whole month, we're both the same age. Age. So. What was that energy like? Like, it's just a lot of boy. And there was, because I spent time with all four of y'all. Like, a lot of boy energy in that house. 
a lot. When we tore that house up, there were so many. I like I said, you got to have me back several times to tell you about each incident. <laughs> yeah. But one of the favorite things that we used to do, we used to take our bed sheets and tie them on our head because it was a TV show called G Force. <laughs> so, so my brother was tiny because he was chubby. No, so tiny was chubby. Then there was Mark. I was Mark. Maurice was Jason, and then um, Dwayne was Kia. My mother played princess, but she never played the game. So she was always away on a mission. <laughs> so the four of us tied our bed sheets with our socks and jumped on the couches, something like that, and taught. Yeah, we had a very active childhood because we didn't have PlayStation. We didn't have Atari. We didn't even have ColecoVision. Right. We hardly had a television. The one we had had the pliers that you had to crank to change the channel. So we had to figure out what we had to do to entertain ourselves. Did my mother like everything we did? No. (laughs) Did we get beatings every day? Yes. (laughs) When I tell you, it's it's different when you grow up with a West Indian prayer because they beat you for everything. It's true. You look at me wrong? What? (laughs) Oh, your mom's voice used to be like calling one of y'all. Used to be like, I guess it's over. I'm going back to my house. (laughs) <laughs> you can hear from Church Avenue to Linden Boulevard. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, I remember the times when we would be outside playing on a Saturday morning and my mother was a registered nurse and had to work. Mm-hmm. She was the only provider. My father wasn't in the household at the time. That's another story you got to have me back for. And my mother would start down the street driving her car and we were playing stickball or something. And somebody said, your mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is how track stars of the world are made, people. Or running for the bus. <laughs> and hopefully you'll slip up an hour. Or in the middle of winter, just, you know, running for the bus and you just catch some ice and it's over. Done. <laughs> Done. After you shovel the snow out of the driveway so your mom can get to work. That's right. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. But see, there was four of y'all, so y'all could split that up. The two younger ones were the babies. It's like, oh, don't let Mercy Dwayne go outside. Oh, don't let them go outside. <laughs> That's another story. When I tell you, you, when you go back and watch this, make sure you pinpoint all of the stories that we have to go back and talk about. Yes. And yes. then you'll have probably 20 more than that. Yes. So I'm trying to think of, of, of where I want to go next. You know, I don't, it was a shock, a real shock to me when Dwayne passed. And I'm sure it was, I mean, as much as it was a shock to me, it had to have been a shock to the other three, well, including your mom, the four of you. Yeah. Um, It's a rough, rough experience to, you know, be shocked out of you. It's it's such like an out-of-body experience, you know, when the day it happened, I mean, I spoke to him like probably the day before mm-hmm. it happened. And we, my brother, I went to sleep the night and I had my phone on silent because I'm in LA. And every time people from New York want to call me at six o'clock in the morning, I want to stab them. Caroline is one of them. She calls you at six o'clock in the morning your time? Caroline, you remember Caroline? Yeah, I remember she, Caroline. She, she called, I'm like, what? I forget if you're three hours ahead or three hours behind. I said, look, when your clock says 12 noon, that's when you can call me. Not before. <laughs> she and I talk every once in a while. I'm just like, we still have that same crazy relationship. But anyway, I digress. 
So, so my phone was off and I woke up and I had 19 calls on my phone. Oh, wow. Like 19 missed calls. I was like, what? And it was Maurice saying, call me now, call me. I was like, what is happening? He said, he's gone. Dwayne's gone. I said, where did he go? What do you mean gone? I, from what happened after that, I mean, I broke down and one of my best friends lives downstairs, who's like my wife. I'm her second husband. Anyway, so I went downstairs and I hit on a door. And I think it was 7.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Usually I don't wake up until like 8.30, 9 o'clock, but I woke up early. And I went and knocked on the door and I said, my brother's dead, my brother's dead, my brother's dead. And she said, what are you talking about? What are you doing? I'm like, I, and I came in the house and I, saw, I fell down and I just couldn't function after that for a while. It was crippling. Yeah, my sister-in-law had to call and she called my friend Benet and Benet and her got me a plane ticket that day to fly down to Atlanta to be with my mother, mm. who, who is still, is crushing, you know what I mean? To see my mother broken is not something I ever wanted to see. Right. Or to see her, you know, she woke up in the middle of the night screaming like, I need to see Dwayne, I need to see him. I say, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. And me having to hold her, you know, it it's still affects me today. You know, I mean, I could talk about it now without, you know, the real ugly cry. Right. But it's still, you know, it's still a touching subject. I understand. It's kind of, you know, weird, but, you know, it's, it's another mental health issue. Right. One of the reasons why it happened. That's another story. And that probably had to be two or three episodes. Right. Right. But yeah, if you, yeah, mental health is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of, you know, what I kind of see as my, like, life's mission is to make people, particularly men and particularly men of color, more interested in taking care of their own mental health, you know, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I neglected it for a really long time. And, you know, I didn't start seeing a therapy and seeing a therapist until I was 31, you know, and I just thought of like all of the years where that I wasted kind of because I was afraid to see somebody or I didn't think I could afford it or, you know, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a house where it was like, you don't go and talk to other people about the things that go on in this house. That's the Jamaican thing too. You yeah. don't tell your business outside of this house. Yeah. And if I, that's to- just, that's a West Indian thing. I think like yeah. all around. Yeah. You know, people don't understand, you know, that all of that pressure put on us as black men, as you know, men in general, yeah. especially in these times, it's really pressing. When you see, you know, when you see, yeah, I just think about that video every time. I haven't watched the whole video, Mr. Floyd's video. Yeah, I didn't watch the video. I couldn't. I just saw the pictures. And when you see all of that, that affects you. Yeah. You know, it could be you. Yeah. And that's why in one of my uh, weekly episodes, I talked about my experience with racism because I didn't remember all of that until that happened. So all of those repressed feelings that I pushed down because I couldn't express myself came back up. up. 
they come back up and it's so, if you don't deal with them, it's going to overwhelm you. And that's what gives people a mental breakdown, which is a real thing. Right. If you can't compute, it's like almost a computer and it shuts down. So this, this is a time where we as individuals have been able to sit down and experience this and experience ourselves in this and be able to cry. I've seen so many men cry these days that I've never seen because it's like, I'm allowed to be vulnerable. Right. This is not okay, and I'm fresh out of give up. You know what I'm saying? Right. I know what you're saying. Yeah. So going from sort of receiving assistance for your own mental health, you as a massage therapist, I feel like are able to be a a caregiver in addition to the care that you receive. Because massage therapy and touch for a lot of people can be very restorative and, and therapeutic. How did, yeah. How did that even start for you? Okay. Cause of Gladys. Really? So, well, it didn't happen because um, I left New York in 2002 and moved to Vegas to do the show with her. And while I was there, there was nothing else to do. I was like trying to figure out what I needed to do to keep my time. Cause I'm very, I'm a Capricorn. I'm active. I need to do something. Right. Not all the time, but I'm very creative. So I remembered, I saw the, I, you know, I said, what am I going to do? And I, the TV came on and there was a video, I mean, a commercial about Nevada School of Massage Therapy. And I was like, hey, people have always told me I've been good with my hands. And I remember when I was in church, my grandmother had diabetes and her hands used to swell. And one day I was in church and I was just rubbing her hands. And by the end of service, her hands were back to normal. And I was like, maybe I do have a gift. Maybe I need to figure this out. So went to school for massage eight and a half months while I was doing Gladys' show at night and became a massage therapist in 2003. Wow. So, you know, have added on to each modality as I went along. But I know that Everybody said, you have healing hands, and they feel that. And I'm glad that I can be a conduit to make people feel good, which is another, that's one of the reasons why I'm here, to make people feel good. Feel good. Do that in my posts, do that in my weekly videos, when I do massage, when I do makeup, it's to enhance somebody's feeling about themselves or about their body, to make the body flow, because when the body flows better, you feel better and you can focus better. So... Since COVID, I've shut down. I started working with one of my clients maybe like about a month ago. Okay. Whereas I was like, you know, they started to open up LA. They said, we can start doing things now. I was like, because for the first, yeah, if it, I forget how long it was. I think 11 weeks, I was in the house. When I tell you, I did not step outside of my building, did not go to the store, groceries delivered, everything delivered. Benet, my friend downstairs, she didn't see me for like about three weeks. Wow. I mean, she lives, I could throw my phone at her door right now. <laughs> and I was like, love you, boo, but no. Because it's real out there. It's real. Mm-hmm. You don't know how it's coming around. You don't know if you're, you know, if you have symptoms or you're asymptomatic. You can't tell. It's not like something on your forehead. Oh, you got a red dot. Okay, you have COVID. No. Right. So I'm not taking that chance. I don't like Russian roulette. I never want to try it. I'm not going to. Right. So 
I stayed in the house. And then when they finally said that we can start opening up the thing, I thought about it. And one of my clients called me. I was like, and she, I know she's a very, she's a very OCD person. She said, mm-hmm. she said I keep, because we talked about a conversation before. So I said, if she was clean before, can you imagine how clean she is? I mean, she <laughs> a level of clean that hasn't been invented yet. I pulled it out the other side because you want to get that whole thing clean. So, so I worked on her and the, we sat down afterward and we talked because I love to talk to them afterward. Just, you know, see how they're feeling. She said, I needed that so much. I didn't realize how much I needed it until I laid on the table and stuff like that. And I'm very gentle, although I may be, you know, big and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a very gentle person. I don't give you, you're not going to feel pain. You're going to get, it hurts so good then instead of hurts so bad. <laughs> so then afterwards, I open up to another client who I see weekly now because, you know, this is very stressful on people. And like I said, black men holding a lot of stuff. And when you start to release all that stuff, you don't realize how much you need it until you get it. So clearing the mind, clearing the body, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do what you got to do for you to keep, you know, keep you here. Put on your mask first. You know, like when you're in the airplane, they say, put on your mask first to help the other person. Everybody else. Yeah. Only way you can take care of, only way you can take care of other people is take care of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. If you come with your authentic self and they come with the authentic self, you can meet in the middle or you can be like, that's not you. And that's why 2020, you know, they say 2020 is perfect vision. Vision, yeah. I can see you clearly. <laughs> I see you. I see you. I can see you You've always seen this, but now I see who you are. Inside, exactly. I see where your mindset is. You know, I see how you're not wearing a mask outside and you're like, oh, yeah, my man. Yeah. I'm like, Mm-mm. all the stupid people that are going out to COVID parties to get COVID. I, that, to me, Neil, makes no sense whatsoever because it's, it's like I'm trying to even compare it to something. It, 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 it's like... You know, I'm just going to take it. It is Russian roulette. It's like, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to take a chance. Why would you do that? Right. On something that could kill, not just kill me, but kill people I love and care about. Yeah. I think because it's so much going on. And that's, that's a mental health issue, too. If you think that is okay, something's wrong with you. Yeah. You need to get that brain checked out. Oh, <laughs> makes no sense to me whatsoever. So when when did y'all come over from the UK? How old were you? I was six. I came over in seventy five. Okay, so you don't you probably don't have a lot of memories of being, do you? The good ones. Okay. I remember, like I said, you gotta have you gotta call me back for more stories because yeah. I got a million of them. So like I used to be, I used to be this cute little adorable kid with a little afro in England. Used to talk like this all the time and stuff like that. So came over here seventy five. But in England, I used to have. I was like the little playboy who had girlfriends. Mm. Like my oldest girlfriend, she was ten. I was like five. Her name was Heather Simpson, and she was white. I remember her 
I, oh, I hope I don't get in trouble. Hopefully, you change your name and nobody can remember. <laughs> anyway, so we used to go like under a sheet outside in um, the open area where we live. And that's the first time I saw a vagina. <laughs> yeah. Scandal. Scandal. So there's more scandals like that that <laughs> I have. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to ask, like, what the biggest, like, culture shock for you coming to another country was. The first thing was not everybody speaking like me. So that was the first challenge. And then me getting beat up because I spoke funny. Right, because you would have came over with, you know, you don't hear the accent now. No. Because I got a beat out of me in Brooklyn. <laughs> it has a place school. I'm still a teen therapist about that, too. My goodness. I mean, you know, because kids are cruel. Yeah. If you come and talk like this, you know, talk like that, and then the girl's like, oh, my God, you sound so cute. The boy's like, shut up, man. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all about jealousy and envy and all that stuff, or insecurities, <laughs> which are a lot going on right now. But, you know, it's... It was challenging. So I lost the accent because I tried to fit in really fast. Sure. Still, even though I tried to fit in, I couldn't fit in. Because you're always going to be you. Always going to be me. And I had to figure out who was me and still figuring out who I am. Right. Well, because that, that can change day to day. It does. And experiences change that. Yeah. It changed who I am now. You know, how I socialize with people. Now I've Got in touch with people I haven't talked to in years. <laughs> Case in point, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I look at every opportunity inside of the middle of the storm. You know, although all this thing is crazy, I'm so blessed and happy. And, you know, I'm still learning about who little Neely is because he was <laughs> traumatized growing up. I mean, how much of that trauma is, like, environmental? Because, I, you know, again, like, I think back to where we grew up and how we grew up and just being in the center of a lot of uncertainty and violence and, you know, not having a lot of financial means and kind of all that stuff. And that stuff stays with you for the rest of your life. It's like generational trauma. Yeah. Gener uh, somebody mentioned that a while back and I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's generational trauma. And even what you, what your ancestors experience is still in your DNA. Yeah. You know, because they, because, you know, like I said, my, there was no phone in my mother's house growing up. No, probably no electricity, no running water and right. all that stuff. So she came up in a mindset that I'm going to teach my kids how to be resilient, how to be strong, how to be independent. So she taught me all of those things, which I love, and also to be a carer sometimes to my... That's another story. See, check, keep checking. Yeah, check. All the stories. All when, the I, stories. when I edit this and play this back, I'm going to just keep notes. Just keep checking. You're like, Lord Jesus, guy got the <laughs> So that group, you know, we were raised to be stronger, you know, because we didn't, we know how to get by without or get by with what little we had. So all of those things I appreciate, but all of the things that I didn't get to experience, I didn't get to you know, where the things you tell you, no, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. There's a lot of cancer in the Seventh-day Adventist life mm -hmm. and also the Jamaican life. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't, you can't. So all of those cans have suppressed who I am. 
hence now I get time to release all of that. So I'm glad for where I grew up, but a lot of the environmental stuff, you know, growing up in the, you didn't know, because my brother got mugged several times going to school. I think we all did. Yeah, we all got I mugged. I certainly we, did. Yeah. You do it. Yeah. We got shot across the street. You didn't know about death and violence. Yeah. You know, we have people that, I know people back then who died of AIDS, you know. So these are the things that, although we, because we as a culture, we move forward through the mess. We don't sit down and experience the mess. No time for that. We can't do that. Let me not do that. You know what I'm saying? Pray it away, shove it in the corner, and move on to the next thing. We had to survive. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was what it was all about back then. It was just surviving, getting to the next day, the next year, you know, to hopefully get into a better situation, you know. And, and you know, one thing I'm grateful uh, to my family for, and I would imagine you feel the same, is just instituting a work ethic. Being like, on time. Yeah. Being in clean clothes. Yep. Make sure oh, Lord. <laughs> my grandmother, if she, like... She would, every morning before I left for school, it was like, come in here, let me see what you're wearing. There was no going outside without seeing what you're wearing. Nope. And you had a lucky, you least you could wear something colorful so that I had a uniform. I had Did you go to shirt. Huh? Did you go to a religious, like a religious school? Did you? Yes. Oh, That's see, I didn't play. know that. Okay. Yeah, that's a SDA school. Okay. So I was one of the, I was a vampire penguin. That's what people, yes. Because I couldn't go out after Saturday. I couldn't come out on Saturday during the day, so I was a vampire. And then I used to wear the uniform. Yeah. Wow. So I not only did I get beaten when I got home, I got beaten at school, maybe sometimes twice, once by the teacher, and if it was really bad, by the principal. Wow. I didn't realize that that was still... Even then, that it was a thing, but it was a religious school, so I guess the rules are a little different. Yeah, and that's all about environment, because a lot of the people went there were West Indian people, so they right. beat my child. Yeah. And when he get home, I'm going to beat him more. <laughs> so we didn't talk back. I didn't say a cuss word. So, you know, all of those things that were restricted that you might have been able to do, no. Yeah, Not no, I mean... That. You know what I mean? I know you had restrictions. Yeah. It gets even worse when you get to seven-day Adventist. Right. I mean, I, you know, my grandmother and your mother, I think, have a lot of similarities. But, you know, there were times when she couldn't wait to get my ass out the house. He's just like, boy, I should not go do something, you know? Get out. Yeah. You know, but, but yeah, having that sort of lifestyle or, or, you know, that sort of religion where you have to be in the house after, you know, if we had a block party on Saturday, I was outside. Y'all couldn't go out, come outside until dark. And I would be sitting like on y'all steps. Like yeah. Looking out the window. Push, he said, you always pushing the sun down. Yeah. And I would be sitting outside, like on y'all stoop, like waiting for y'all. Wait. I just lost my, I completely lost my train of thought. So what, I guess, as time continues to go and, and, you know, where do you see your evolution like leading you to? Where, or is there, is there a, a stop point? Is there a moment of like, I am the complete meal? 
No, I don't think there's any time you still have breath in your mouth, you have a journey to live. And that journey just progresses as times change, variations, all of that stuff. So I'm still evolving. I mean, I know where I want to be. I want to be doing more film and television. And God is opening up those doors. Because the more I get to know who I am, you know, I get to audition better. I get to be more authentic. So I apologize to all the people I, you know, auditioned for before, but, you know. It's, an evol- it's a process. It's an evolution. It's a process because I've had that mentality, I have to be perfect. And because I try to be perfect, I keep, I want to set the flaws. And that's what people want to see. They want to see the flaws. They want to see a human. I come in and say, hi, I'm Mia Tapp, and I'm auditioning for the role of, and I'm just like so plastic. You know what I mean? Certain times a glimmer would come through, but lately, like I took an audition class just prior to COVID that allowed me to see all the things that I was saying to myself. Because there's a lot of negative talk that I was saying to myself, and I was trying to monitor who I was to not let people see who I am. Sure. And then in that aspect, I'm on the outside looking in. How can you show who you are and feel when you are out here looking at you? trying to do this so I was blocked so this has allowed me to realize what my flaws are to accept those things and to work on the things that I know I can work on you know what I mean because right. after a while with, between Jamaican British big lips and a big tongue sometimes sometimes they're like what are you saying what <laughs> so For the last three weeks, I've been doing my articulation drills every morning to get this loosened up. Because, you know, we talk like this and this time, so, you know, the movie remote, it's all, you know. So that's another generation, you know, generational cultural thing that's in my mouth. Because people are like, you're not from here, are you? (laughs) They can't place it. Right. Especially when I get drunk or tired or from high, it's like... That's when... The, you know, everything starts coming up and say, I just love you like this because I'm being authentic. Right. I'm not worried about what people think because I could care less. Right. And that's the mentality I'm a doctor now. I'm like, if you don't like what I say or what I do, change the channel. But for those who I'm inspiring or giving a light to their day by being stupid and idiotic, I'll see you next week on The Naked Truth. Yep. There you go. And The Naked Truth is the name of your web series. I guess it just started like that. I don't know where it came from because it first started with the Jefferson experiment. <laughs> I can't get over that. Please, if you, yeah, if, you have no, if you have nothing to do, which you shouldn't, if, you, if you're an essential worker and you're out there working, I pray for you. Be safe. Be careful. Be safe. But if you don't have nothing to do and you're tired, you, you ran through every Netflix show, come over to Neil Tap and look at some stupidity. <laughs> it will brighten your day and some of it will bring you a little bit more perspective on who I am and what it is. It's just to be authentic, free, Neil. Amen to that. And so, my la- I usually have a standard last question, but I think we've talked about so much of this stuff throughout this, this show. I'm going to customize my last question just for you. Ooh, I feel special. <laughs> Hydrate. And that might actually be part of the answer to the question. What's that? How are you 53 and still look 35? That's all from up here. <laughs> That's why I put it right here. <laughs> you got to know your angles. You got to know your <laughs> no, um, 
No, seriously, I like usually I'm very active. Like I worked out, rollerblade. I just try to live life with the laughter because laughter is so good for your body. Because the more you laugh, it just like jiggles everything up. <laughs> yes, you know. So, oh, my sister-in-law's calling me now. Anyway, so I got to deal with another issue. So anyway, but yeah, I try. I haven't worked out at all during COVID. I probably did a couple of squats recently, but that's just because I started feeling my knees creak. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's time to start, you know, but yeah, I try to drink water. I do. I, I don't restrict myself from things anymore. Like right now, because of the mental work I'm trying to do. Right. Restrictions are not a thing. That's why I say, if I don't feel like taking a shower, who cares? You know what I mean? I took one today because smell of vision is going to be real soon. <laughs> you don't want to get caught up in that. I don't want to get caught up in it because I'll be lost on it. Neil, is that you? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do my daily facial. You know, just try to be happy. You know, they say black don't crack. I'm like, if it wasn't for the little bit of gray, I'd be like, you look exactly the same as the last time I saw you. And I get that all the time. They're like, <laughs> you're not 52. I say, yes, I am. No, you're not. I'm like, why would I lie? Right, right. And that's such a random number to lie about, that's too. Such a ran- right. right. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I have to embrace my age. That's another thing. Just accept who I am. Because age doesn't matter where you are in your life. You can start today. Yep. It's never too late to be the person that you are. Exactly. I mean, people, yeah, we get stuck in all the social, environmental things that we've grown up. It's a system that was built to keep us down. Mm-hmm. Not just as a people, but as a culture and mm-hmm. as a black people. You know what I mean? Whether you be transgender, there's always something in place to keep you down from where you want to be. Because we are a powerful nation. If we all came together as one the world would be able to say, you know, we're about to start as Wakanda. Let's go. <laughs> I got my I got my camouflage I'm on. Ready. Go. I'm ready. You know I mean? oh, shit. Move and get our stuff together so we can, you know, not have to worry about, oh, they're not gonna like me or they're holding their purse, basically yeah. It's so important that people just free themselves. Like you gotta free yourself. Life is life is short as it is. Like, why, why make yourself into something that you're not just to try to appease who? You know what I'm saying? There's no like, more of that. We're done, 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 done. If you don't like me because I'm black, cool. At least right. I know now. Right. You know, I'm not, you know, I was even thinking, like, in the culture that we grew up in, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff, but a lot of people don't see things. So they don't know what it is. Right. We have time to learn. Now you have time to watch the 13th or watch I'm Not Your Negro. So you can do your homework and understand for yourself and not what you were growing up. Growed up? Grewed up? Whatever it is. Grewed up? Yeah. Talk to people about their experiences. If they're willing to. If they're willing to experience. Because, you know, I'm not going to teach you about what a black life is about. Right. If you're in my life, you already know. Right. I'm, thank God I have friends that who just happen to be white who understand and have lost family members during this whole time because 
of the limited thinking. Oh, this gay thing, or oh, this black thing, all lives matter, don't wear a mask, it infringes on my... I'm like, are you for serious? Ignorance is bliss, but you are taking this to a whole... A whole nother level. Yep. Yeah, ignorance also has consequences. It does. So now that you are getting slapped on the wrist, you're like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know I can say the N-word. But you say it in music. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I never want to hear anybody say that. I would, like, the top of my head would just, like, blow off my neck if someone was to, like, say some shit like that to that's me. A, that's another reason why I'm not going outside, because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. All the stuff, that's why I'm working on myself in here. So when we do open up to the world, I can be at least cordial if somebody says the N-word, I won't, because I would black out. <laughs> I would definitely black out. Yeah. I would not know what happened. like, oh, did I do the, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> East Flatbush will come right back. In the heartbeat. Yep. <laughs> and a little bit of Jamaica on top of that. We said, yep. what up? Big ups to Neil Taft for sharing his story with us. It was fantastic to reconnect voice to voice after many years, and I fully intend to have him back at some point to talk more about his crazy life. Are there any other guests you would like to make a return engagement? Let me know by hitting us up on social media, either at facebook.com slash detoxpod, on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph, or by emailing me at detoxpod at gmail.com. An hour or so isn't enough to get as deep as we'd like to get into some of these stories. Now, let's talk about Save Our Stages. Neil is a performer. I am someone who works with and is friends with a lot of performers. The ability to perform has been severely curtailed in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, and not only are many of these performers unable to work, but so are the hundreds if not thousands of others who make live performances possible, from booking agents to catering to carpenters, security guards, and more. Please go to SaveOurStages.com to support these people and to make sure that Congress passes the Save Our Stages Act and the Restart Act in order to keep independent venues nationwide from closing permanently. Once again, that is SaveOurStages.com. This concludes yet another episode of the Detoxicity Podcast. Again, please leave a comment and or a rating wherever you're enjoying us. If you know someone who'd be a good guest, or if you're interested in being interviewed for the show yourself, please reach out to me via IG or email. I wish you all continued safety and health, as always. Peace.